I was in youth group in the late 90s, and during that time, food challenges were very popular. So one night at youth, two guys were challenged with drinking an entire gallon of milk within an hour. About 45 minutes in, almost finished, one of the guys started projectile vomiting, which made the other guy start vomiting as well. So the youth director had to clean up all of that mess, and needless to say, we did not do any more food challenges at youth group. Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high school Cause my best days would be in the past I know, I know, I know, I know Looking back, it ain't all bad But damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high school Hey everyone, welcome to Unlearning Youth Group We're the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learned back in youth group Find the good, unlearn the bad, and figure out where the heck we go from here we haven't met. My name is Jonathan Caron, and we are joined, as always, by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. Hey, what is up? This is like a gloves off day, I think, because we're going to have we're either going to have a lot of people cheering for this one or a lot of people upset. It sounds like a lot of our episodes are that way. So here's a little context. I'm on the East Coast. Eric is not. So typically when we record, it's like eight or nine o'clock Eric's time. Uh huh. But we had to push this one back because I just recorded a guest spot on a podcast talking about this exact same thing. So I, I'm already warmed up. So I'm ready to go on my end. But Eric has had longer in the day. Yes. He's had more cups of coffee and he's yes. currently eating a donut. Got a donut. So we have fully caffeinated and energized Eric on this episode. And it just so happens to be a topic that he has a lot of thoughts on. I have some thoughts. So, we're going to talk uh, about it. We're going to try to stay at 30 minutes, yeah. but <laughs> the good news is Eric has a meeting in an hour, so we can't yeah, go too terribly long and keep you too far. So today's topic, if you grew up in youth group, there's a good chance you have an experience where you were at church every time the doors were open, uh-huh. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever there was church, you were there. And the culture around it implied, or sometimes it even explicitly stated that if you wanted to be a good Christian, air quotes, good Christian, you had to attend church whenever it was open. And personal level, I remember getting crap from people uh, for occasionally, I'm talking like two or three times a year, having all-star baseball or soccer tournaments on a Sunday and missing church, or God forbid the time that the basketball season that I had church, uh, practice on Wednesday night. So I'd literally yeah. have to go from practice to Wednesday night Royal Rangers because I couldn't miss church because yeah. I had to be there because that's what you did as a good Christian family. So yeah. that Damn is there. the topic for today. Yeah. You can't miss uh, the Iwanis club, you know, or anything else like that, where you're going to be doing your sword drills and your Bible and stuff. Otherwise, what are you going to do? I mean, I was, I was in a situation, again, not really growing up too much in youth, youth group, but um, from a leadership standpoint, hearing our leadership and our pastors actively uh, preach against other Sunday activities. And, you know, so you would think that if you were on a travel sport, like we would hear all the time, man, it, the society is going downhill, the family, this and that, you know, you you throw out all of those typical villains that the church has. Whistles. Yeah, dog whistles, exactly. And then in the same exact breath, it would be families choosing travel sports over church. And it was like, that became some villain as if as if it was the atheist Satanists that were signing up these <laughs> families and kids that God forbid wanted to do soccer on one of the day, one of the two days of the uh, of the week where they didn't have to work. 
Yeah. So Sunday was king and everything revolved around Sunday. So now that we're adults, and especially now that we've lived through the pandemic and mm-hmm. the rise of online church, and we've also on the other side, we've seen toxic cultures that many churches have fostered, you yep. know, from sexual assault cover-ups. There were, I mean, the Brian Houston thing just recently came out. We're recording this a day and a half after that story broke. MacArthur's um, organization. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere right now. Uh, to spiritual abuse, to legalism, whatever it is, there, there's a question that's being asked by our generation. Do I still have to go to church every Sunday? Right. And can I be a Christian and not go to church? So similar to last week where we talked about is youth group even good? We thought this would be like, this is a good fundamental question for us to talk about and to explore together. And similar to last week, I'll go ahead and tell you my thesis statement on the front end, and then we'll we'll dive into other stuff. Eric, you can jump in if you disagree or have a different thought, but I believe you don't have to go to church every single Sunday to be a Christian. I believe that you can be a Christian and not go to church. However, I would say attending a gathering of other believers on a regular basis is how we were designed, and that's what leads us to the best and healthiest versions of ourselves. We're going to get into what that looks like, but I'm a big believer that Christianity is not an individualistic religion. Right. Yeah, I I think I would have probably aligned with everything there. I think if we go back to last week, there was another uh, topic of conversation of like, we have to define terms here to figure out, you know, because because we could be making judgments or opinions based on um, things that we don't align for the terms. So, you know, when you talk about going to church, I think we look at it for most of our listeners are in the United States or or have some Western evangelical view of what church is. And so church as the corporate uh, gathering place that has become the institution of church looks very different than it did in the first century when, you know, conversations about gathering um, were had in the Bible. So I think it's important to say, you know, what I would amend maybe for, for our conversation is like, do I believe that you have to go to a corporate, you know, corporate gathering? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but do you need to gather with other believers intentionally in a community where you are uh, praying for one another, where you are, uh, you know, bearing each other's burdens, all the things that it says about the gathering of believers. Yes. But then also separate out. I, I love your second point. You can be a Christian, and not go to church. I think there's so many things that we talk about over the past, what, three, three, four seasons now, where we separate out the dogma from what's actually scripturally relevant. And so when you talk about a gathering of believers, um, if you, if you are unable to, or if you just, for some reason, don't gather with other believers, does that affect your salvation? In my opinion, no. Does that affect your effectiveness? Like you said, kind of like your healthiest version. Potentially, yes. You know, so I think that there's a there. Those are some things that I would just like to add for me personally would be um, descriptors as to what we mean. Uh, so anybody out there who's thinking, you know, my church, we're at church from 9 a.m. on Sunday until 5 p.m. because that's just the the way that we're at. Like, does is that prescriptive for what you have to do? to be an effective Christian? I say, no, not in all cases. But can you be the type of person that says, I read, I do devotionals, and I'm a Christian in isolation? I would also say, uh, yeah, you might be saved, but that's going to limit your 
healthiest version and most effective yep. version for the gospel. So, so I think we're aligned on that. Maybe I just wanted to make sure that I added some definitions so we don't have assumptions in our viewership or, or listenership. Yeah. The way I would describe it, and we, we talk about tensions on here a lot. Yep. We have to live in the tension of this is how God designed us to be in Christian community with there's grace for when life gets busy or you can't make it or right. you're healing from a bad church experience or something like there. Like, so there's that tension. Right. So Eric, what was bad about the thinking of you have to go to church every single week in a gathering in a building with yeah. a lot of other people, the 501 C three organization, yep. you have to attend their weekly gathering to be a good Christian. Yep. What was bad about that? Yeah. Well, I would even go as far as to say too, like in some cases, um, and this is just my experience, but in some cases, if somebody, you know, cause I come from mostly mega church background. If somebody said, Oh, I go to church. Where do you go to church? And you mentioned, uh, you know, your, your first Presbyterian, tiny little small town church that has 70 people, 50 people, other Christians would look at that as that's not a real church. Or if you said, oh, I go, you know, I have a house church that gathers. That was definitely not a real, that was a cult. That's not a real church. But drawing from my, my parents, my dad grew up Catholic. My mom grew up strict, you know, conservative Lutheran. And they both uh, throughout their lives would talk about the guilt, you know, obviously people, Catholic guilt. And it's not just about confession and the sins, but it is about not conforming to uh, the schedule. If you weren't in church every week, if you didn't go to CYO, if you weren't involved in a Catholic school or a religious school, uh, my dad went to Catholic schools from grade school all the way through college. He went to the University of Dayton, which is a Catholic college. And it was like, you're expected to do that because if you didn't, you didn't have the right kind of pedigree. And it led to a lot of guilt that I think the baby boomer generation was deconstructing in the 60s and 70s before deconstructing was considered deconstructing. So that was just one aspect. A lot of that led to some of the church growth movements that we're having to deconstruct today. Right. So the pendulum swings back and forth, like always. But one of the things I think we got wrong about that is it centered the entire Christian life around a building. Yep. Everything you did as a Christian was at your church building. You went to something, you went to church there on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, but you also did yard sales at your church. You did um, Awana at your church. Yep. Your church had a basketball team or a yep. softball team or Upward whatever. Upward basketball and was so, at your church. You know, it was like, whatever. It all happened at your building. Yeah. And so there was, there was never any time to be intentional with Christians from other churches or God forbid people who weren't Christians and were just your neighbors. Right. And so we set up these silos and these holy communities and holy, the holy huddle is, yep. is the old saying of people who are in our church. And that's who we ended up doing every single thing in our life with. And not only the building, but it, it tied you to a particular leadership a particular view, a particular niche when it comes to your theology, when it comes to your, you know, cause like I've gone to a couple of different uh, mega churches and been involved in the leadership and, you know, sat around the table with executive teams and to hear from three different churches that are in the top, you know, I don't know, 50 or 75 from the outreach magazine to hear their executive teams talk in such definitive terms about what church is, should be, and what's right and wrong. But all three of those visions were completely different. 
as kind of an, I don't know, like an outsider insider seeing that it's like, that's playing out in churches everywhere where you don't know it, but your pastor may or may not, I'm not going to throw everybody in that way, but it's like, they think the way you're doing church is the way church should be done. And if, if presented in the wrong way without the right context, now all of a sudden um, you get vilified for even uh, attending another church or being involved in something else. Or, you know, if you've ever brought this up where you're saying like, oh, we're going through a, a Bible study and it's a Beth Moore Bible study, or it's a, you know, name another celebrity pastor type of thing. It's like, I listened to this Elevation Stephen Furtick uh, uh, sermon. And then you start to, oh, because they're slightly outside of your church's view of how things should be. Now that becomes a moral problem for you where, you're actually wrong for that, or you're looked down upon for like visiting someone else's church for a weekend or something. And when you are only surrounded by people who think, act, look, and do things exactly like you do, yep, you're going to naturally villainize other people who are differently. So an outward thing that happened with this, you have to come to church all the time. That's where we start. Yep. And so you're around the same group of people all the time and yep. not around people who maybe have disagreements with you. So then you start thinking your way is right and their way is wrong. Wrong. And not then a preference. You start- one is right and one is wrong. It's not preferential now. It's actually right and wrong. And so that is how we get to these places where church folk demonize and look down upon people who are different than them yes. because we spent so much time at church in the same group of people every single week, we had no chance to get to know these people who were different than us because we were only around our group of people all the time. Yep. And that becomes right and wrong for others there too. And so like being involved in, in again, mega churches, a lot of times if, if you're listening here and you have a mega church in your community that you don't go to, I'm guessing the conversation is set around that that church is the cult church. Right. Because when you have a church, there's something, there's some negative thing towards them. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, so a lot of times the view is that when there's this large gathering and people are all there, that it becomes this cultish thing and being on the inside, you know, we knew it's like, okay, that's not technically the definition of a cult. It's not a cult, those sorts of things. But you can see where that cultish mentality comes because you start to follow the beliefs and you start to follow the dogma and the principles and the preferences of either one person, usually a man in general as the leader of that church, or, you know, what they've decided is, is their, their main preference for how to do church. And so that does lead you to some of this theologically isolated spots where you may be believing and following things that one are, are not necessarily in general true of Christianity as a whole, but two could be sinful and wrong because the way you apply it, like you said, you start to villainize and demonize and other the people in your community that Jesus actually called you to reach. So what we got wrong, isolating us from other people in our community, taking up all of our time around the same group of people, guilt, making a building, a place we go to the key for your faith. So that's Mm -hmm. what we got wrong. But what did we get right? What was the good intention behind that approach? Yeah, I think it's key is like, of course, we were designed to be in community with one another. I don't think you see a whole lot of examples in the Bible where uh, believers are thriving in isolation. And so 
I think that's that's another aspect of it. What does that community look like? But we're designed to be in community. And I think where you see, and this is this is very typical, where you see the church thriving the most is where the church is persecuted. And why does it thrive in that spot? Like I just saw, um, was it Poland? Their their church attendance is going through the roof right now because as we're recording, we're in like month two of the Ukraine Russia deal uh, war conflict, and the people are saying it's because Poland is accepting refugees, and so now people are flocking to church because why? Because they want to be in community with one another, supporting each other, you know, bearing each other's burdens, all the things that it says biblically about why a community is so important as a Christian. Yes. And to take that a step further and to kind of look at it in American culture, a sermon can be downloaded and you can worship at home by yourself, but our faith was never meant to be hyper-focused on ourselves. It was never meant to be individualistic. And um, in our Western American culture, we do that a lot. But the truth is we need other believers to push us, to hold us accountable, to question us, to challenge us. And quite frankly, other believers need us to challenge them, to encourage them, to model what following Jesus looks like, to serve them so their lives can be changed in the same way ours has. So you cannot do that if you are going, if you're sitting at home on your couch for church every single week and your faith is solely individualistic. So the idea of being in community with each other is incredibly important. One of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is this idea that in the English language, the word you can be singular or plural. So we read a lot of the New Testament, the things that should have said y'all or these guys, like all y'all, we read that as you. So the verses that say, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit indwells in you. We read that as Eric, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit responds or resides in you. I'll accept that. In reality, the original language is all y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit and you guys are where the Holy Spirit indwells. Right. And so it's a it's an implied everyone together, the church, and not just an individualistic singular thing. And so American culture is highly, highly individualized. And so we project that idea into our reading of scripture and think we can have this personal relationship with Jesus. And that's all that matters. And that we don't have to have other people coming along with us. And we can talk about, and we'll get to this, what those other people look like and what that mm-hmm. gathering is. But the fact of the matter is there's biblical principles and basis for our faith is not just our own individualistic thing. You see in Acts mm-hmm. that entire households come to Christ yep. at the same time. It yep. wasn't just somebody making a personal decision. It was entire households doing this together. And that's so, why I think you, you need that yes and because – you know, we are told that we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, singular. Um, you know, the uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, that was a one-on-one conversation. Singular. He gets baptized. So that's a singular situation with one person, one person. But in the, but the same Roman way, guard, I'm sorry? The Roman guard, it was him and his family 
were saved all at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if you look at it the same way that that some of us or you know those those listeners that are out there that maybe if you don't attend church or if your mindset is I'm not going to attend a corporate gathering because no one is holding them accountable because all of the corruption because all of these sorts of things. That same mentality applies to you should not be working out your own faith on your own in isolation because corruption is going to be there because no one is holding you accountable. No one is challenging you in the same way, you know, Jonathan can look and at me is and wicked. go, yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Jonathan can look at me and can say, Hey, those, that thing that you're saying to me does not align with what I'm seeing in scripture. Can we talk about that? And now, now we're able to go back and forth on it as opposed to me just doing, you know, quote unquote, doing my research in my own isolated echo chamber now becomes something that doesn't need to be challenged. And so that's why that corporate gathering is so important when done right. Correct. And we mentioned back in season one, these stats, but I think it's good to bring back according to a Gallup poll in 2020, in December of 2020. So right at the height of the pandemic, uh, those who attend church weekly are 11% more likely to rate their mental health as excellent than those who say they attend one to three times per month. Those who attend church weekly are 17% more likely to rate their mental health as excellent than those who say they attend a few times per year or never attend. 76% of U.S. adults rate their mental health positively, representing a nine-point decline from 2019. But those who attend religious services weekly are the only demographic to improve their rating from 2019 to 2020. Every other demographic studied is in decline. And so the implication is that weekly church attendance improves your mental health more than your marital status, age, household income, or party affiliation combined. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like we were created to be in community with other believers. So the good intention behind going to church is key is that we were made to be in community with each other and we were made to be around each other and worship together as believers. Mm-hmm. So with that said, Eric, what the heck does church look like in 2022 and beyond? Yeah, I think so. The question of where, where do we go from here and what do we do? You know, first of all, I think we have to recognize uh, the power of connections through exactly what we're doing here. I mean, we're recording this on the internet uh, thousands Guys, of me miles. and Eric have never met each other in person. Yeah, we've never been in the same room. That. Yeah. So that's that's it. We're we're recording this thousands of miles away, and I think that that the church is is one of the last places where people are are overall starting to grasp that power of connection that we have in in our modern experience. So, just like you know, over the past two decades or you know ten years or so, people have started to find other people that they can share community with because, you know, in your community, you may be the only one who likes, I don't know, you know, name, name some isolated thing. You may be the only one in in your community 10 years ago that, that liked uh, Dr. Who. And now because you have the internet, you can connect and be in a fandom with others like that. So these things have happened where other people have gotten connections around other interest levels and they're thriving. You know, there's conventions for all these things and people are gathering and they have message boards and discord and groups and the church is painfully lagging behind. So I think the first thing is to recognize that community looks different. Do you have to sit in the same room with somebody to care about them as a Christian? 
Probably not. I mean, yes, there is some aspect to that as well, but you can be just as much in community with someone that you never see personally in person um, with our modern technology. So I think that's part of it is taking a look at what does that gathering look like that's different. That doesn't mean it's ever going to replace in-person connection with people, but just knowing that that's another tool in the same way as man, when that printing press was invented, now you could literally <laughs> get the, right. You could get the Bible in the hands of every single believer. Imagine the shift of thinking this one guy one wrote one letter that I'm supposed to read aloud in front of everybody. Cause number one, most of you couldn't read number two, I only have one letter and now printing press gets invented and now everyone can have a copy of the letter. Everybody can have a copy of the Bible. And that's how we went from community driven to individualistic. Yeah. I mean, so there are some bad there, but at the same time, imagine people railing against you should not have access to this letter because it needs to be read aloud to you by someone in charge. And so I think where do we go from there is we think that there's nothing new under the sun. This latest change in communication and the way that we consume uh, scripture and the way that we care for one another is just the next evolution from letter writing to printing press to internet. So I would say that's number one is just realize that. And then then the implication is what does your Christian community look like given those new tools and research or uh, resources? Yeah, I think, and this, uh, you and I may disagree a little bit here. I think we're close. I think the internet and digital tools are good. Like most of my friends I talk to on a regular basis do not live in my town or within even my state. So I'm a hundred percent believer in the internet and the tools that come with it can help us find community with others. However, I do think there is something to be said about someone sitting across the table from you in your kitchen yeah, and having that type of face-to-face relationship where there's no lag. You can see body language better. You can like, you can give somebody a hug or what it is. So I think it's important to find that we're in a culture to where people are moving away from home more than ever. And so you're picking up and moving away from the people you know and the support systems you have. And so having a support system of like-minded people in your area is, again, it gets back to can you do it without that? Absolutely, 100%. You can. Is the healthiest version of you going to have that? Yeah. If To be your healthiest, you're probably going to want to have people w- near you, close by, who you can see on a regular basis. Right. Uh, because I think that Christian community, the do not forsake the gathering, that may not have been the 501c3 organization's weekly service. But it does mean a regularly scheduled time with other believers where you worship together, you pray together, and you study scripture together. You can do that on the internet. You can. But there's something about doing it in person that takes a good experience to something that's even better. I think a lot of that, too, comes down to making sure that we separate what is preferential, what matches to someone's individual needs. Because, like, you know, my wife and I were just talking about this today about the people who are van lifers, you know, who can go and they're digital nomads and they just travel everywhere and they're, you know, whatever. Like, I could not do that. You know, I would not be able to do that. But for some people, that is the lifestyle that aligns with them, the freedom to go and be and be in isolation a lot of times. And so for those type of people, 
um, digital church and connection is the biggest lifeline. If you're Absolutely. picking up and moving, if you're, you know, if you're a travel nurse, if you're an over the road truck driver, if you're a pilot or a, you know, someone on a flight crew and your life is very much transitional where you may not be home very often, it may be hard to develop those local connections. So like I said, I don't think the digital connection is to replace everyone's in person, but I think mm-hmm. there is room to be able to open handedly mm-hmm. look at church and, um, you know, not demonize the family that chooses travel, basketball or baseball or soccer for a season and instead resource them and say, you have your own mini community of those 10, 12 families on a team. Here's, Here's how you resource. do a Bible study on Sunday mornings before your yeah. first tournament of the day. Exactly. So at, you know, at a church I worked at, I had a campus pastor who was telling a story of uh, a guy who was on a, you know, his kids were on a travel team. He bought an RV and had, you know, the big screen TV on the bump out on the RV. And he said, you know, that's what they do for travel teams. And then he would take that um, to, cause he had, you know, season tickets to uh, um, some college, I forget which college it was probably university of Michigan. And at the tailgates, they would pop in a worship service or they would pop in something and people would spend time watching that and gathering in community. And so they were able to use those resources to bring church to the community they have established instead of what I think was conventional wisdom, which is you have to all the time, um, you have to adjust your life to the community of the church. If you are a part of a group of believers and you play travel ball, you come together, but then you're sent out to those tournaments so that you can then go make disciples at those tournaments. Right. You're able to use the things in your life that you are doing as disciple making opportunities if you're doing it the right way. Yep. It's not a either or, it's a both and because we do have more opportunity. And so I think there's something to be said about changing our shift from. You have to be at this church service every single week. Because let's be honest, and Eric, I don't know if you want to get into this. We haven't even gotten to the special needs side of things to where the typical Sunday morning is a little ableist. And yep. the the Sunday morning gathering is there, it's a privilege to get to go do that. Do you want to mm-hmm. do you want to touch that or is that a little too close yeah, to home? Yeah, no, that's great. I have a my oldest son is on the autism spectrum. He's, you know, had a Um, he had a category four brain hemorrhage before he was born and has a lot of delays, um, that we have been working through and God willing has helped us to, uh, to get him to the point where he is today. But we have been turned away from three different churches that have actively said, we, you cannot bring your child into our kids program and because they don't have the resources to serve him. And so the options that we're given when we go to most churches, and I was telling Jonathan this the other day, is like, uh, it's either my wife and I go without our kids, which trying to figure out who to watch the kids on a Sunday morning is one thing. But then eventually we have to kind of, it's like, we've got this secret that, oh, we've got this kid that has, you know, that that's not, that's neurodivergent, that has issues that need special attention. Well, we can't serve you. Or we come in, fingers crossed that everything is going to go well, and we bring our son uh, and we just hope it goes well. Or we get turned away literally at the door saying, no, we, we're unable to serve him. Or everything goes well, we sit through, and then uh, we're just sitting in the worship service as adults, waiting like a ticking time bomb for someone to approach us after a service and say, hey, 
you know, we're just not able to have your your child come to uh, to our services. So two churches I worked for, I was on staff, said, we cannot serve your child. So finding a church for people with those sorts of issues or those sorts of situations can be very difficult. And the other people that we talk to that have kids that are on the autism spectrum, have, have kids that are special needs or have some sort of disability, they have very similar stories where the church can be very isolating to them because they're not allowed to really worship as a family in a way that that brings everybody together. And for some of that, I understand. For the churches that don't have resources, it can be a tough decision, but you still have to realize when you're not providing resources for some of those populations, that's what's causing people to not be able to find that Christian community as well. So we have to realize that Christian community, the gathering of believers, is not just that Sunday morning organizational gathering. There are weeks for me that my small group is my church for the week, that I go to a small group in the middle of the week and we read the Bible and we pray together. And by the time I get to Sunday morning, it's just like, it's if I go on Sunday morning, it's another box to check. And that can't be every week for me. I, I'm excited to go to church this weekend because I haven't been in a couple of weeks. So I, I think at the end of the day, what I want to leave you with with this episode is kind of that thesis that I said at the very beginning. You don't have to go to church every Sunday. You can be a Christian and not go to church, but your spiritual health is dependent on you being in community with other believers on a regular basis where you read the Bible together, you hold each other accountable, and you encourage each other. What that looks like for you, I cannot tell you there is one way to do that. I honestly believe in 10 years, if we look back at this episode, we are going to be shocked at what the American church looks like in 10 years compared to what it is today. We're we're at the start of a conversation of this whole thing is changing. And so my encouragement to you is just to make sure you have people in your life who know you, who you know, and who can hold you accountable, who can encourage you and can follow Jesus with you because you were never made to do this thing alone by yourself. And I think maybe that put in context the way you put it there, we so so often would read Paul's, you know, Paul's call to us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And I think part of that is not assuming that that's working it out in isolation, but working out what what connection to Christian community best fits what we need for our individual season, for our individual situation, for our individual family life, for where you are in life in general. And so I think that's that's what I'm learning and struggling through is kind of throwing off the weight and the burden of uh, what church looks like as a whole, but also not falling into a, I need to work this out in isolation, devoid of other Christian community. And instead allowing God to speak in and say, what is the, what does the Christian community look like for me in the season I'm in right now in my life? Whether that's with my my son, with my family, with the fact that I've worked for churches. So I've seen the inside of churches. So there are some you know, baggage pieces there, but in general, still allowing God to do the work 
it with me working this out on what does Christian community look like going forward. And the thing I think I'll leave us with this week, uh, the, I guess the final word would be that if you are currently healing from church hurt, if you have a bad church experience in your past that you are currently trying to work through and heal from, what I would like to tell you is what someone told me that really changed my perspective. You were hurt by people. You were hurt by an organization. You were not hurt by Jesus. And so Jesus didn't do that to you. If you pursue him and find others to pursue him with, that is how you're going to heal from whatever hurt you are. Feel what you need to feel. Heal what you need to heal. Go through the process, but don't throw out Jesus just because some of his followers hurt you. Don't feel like you have to do this on your own because a group of followers of Jesus did things the wrong way. And hopefully if you're listening to this, you're trying to work that out together. That's most of our audience. But I would just encourage you, continue to actively seek out Jesus and find others to seek him with, because that's how we do this whole faith and Christian and religion thing moving forward. We can work out the details of what it looks like later, but follow Jesus and find others to follow him with is I think the most important thing throughout this entire 35 minute episode. So if you stayed with us this long, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Uh, going to invite you to go ahead and subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Rate us, review us, because when people are looking at new shows, that's what they look at. Um, share it with a friend if you think it helped you. And I'm just going to give a plug. If you have a family situation, if you are dealing with uh, a special needs child and you're in the same boat that I am, um, I'm not saying I've got it all figured out, uh, but I would love to connect with you if you are looking on how to kind of struggle through this well and serve your family. I see you. I understand what you're going through. And there is there is hope uh, for you and for your family. So that's Eric W712 on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. I am at Jonathan underscore Corone on all three platforms as well. Thanks so much for uh, talking through an episode that is a little more serious than some of our other ones. Next week, we are going to be talking about something totally different than this. We're doing an episode called Two Pieces, Tankinis, and T-Shirts. Going into summer, it's our typical third episode of the season purity culture topic. So uh, we'll be hitting on that next week. So we hope to see you then. But in the meantime, I hope you have a great week. We'll be